Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of sighs guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15, discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the Camino Real Polanco in 
Mexico City, Mexico. I encourage you to go to our website, petergreenberg.com, for our comprehensive list of all the aid and relief organizations doing all that hard, essential, and important work all around the world. Opportunities for you to immerse yourself in an up-close and personal way and give back directly to the people who need help the most every time you travel. It could be a morning, an afternoon, a weekend, whole week, you name it. The, op- the opportunities are there, and we always like to localize the opportunities right here in Mexico City. There's a, there's a group called Hands on Mexico. They do a great job in the communities. And by the way, they have long and short-term volunteer opportunities. And this is everything from food banks to uh, community gardening and so much more. And you get out into the neighborhoods, you're out with the people who actually live there, and who better to give you a tour of Mexico City than the locals themselves when you're finished. So if you want more information about it, it's handsonmexico.org or go right to our website, uh, petergreenberg.com, for the whole complete list. You know, I always want to ask the locals when I come to town. I got a local with me right now who wasn't always local. He was He's Australian, but he's now the senior writer for the Mexico Daily, Mexico News Daily. That's right. Peter Davies, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. I mean, Mexico City to me, I've been coming since 1972. Okay. And Mexico City to me was always an enigma because when I first came here, it's, it's so huge. People don't understand the density of the population. They don't understand the size, the altitude. In those days, the pollution. It was so dense that it was overwhelming to me. I, I, I couldn't get my arms around it. And yet, in the last 10 to 15 years, I can. I now, it's, it's manageable. I can really immerse myself. Whatever I want to do, if it's, if it's food, if it's museums, if it's history, if it's culture. I mean, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the city's come along a long way uh, in terms of tourism and being user-friendly for, for visitors from, from outside. Uh, being like Mexico. you because you're Australian. Yeah, sure. Um, How long have you been here? I've been here about six years now. I first came at the end of 2011 and been here pretty much nonstop. So when you first got here, what was the first thing that surprised you? Uh, I think just the vibrancy of the streets. Um, Yeah, and I mean, you go down to the subway and it's a whole other world down down below, you know, and with the whole kind of... You know, most people who are tourists in Mexico City never take the subway. They, They miss out. Yeah, well, it's probably a bit of a misconception that it's dangerous, that you're going to get pickpocketed on the subway. But I think that if you're going to come here, then I think you really are missing out if you don't go down there and check things out. You know, it's, it's not just getting from A to B. There's actually a lot going on down there, whether it's entertainment or vendors, you know, selling their wares and whatnot. So it's pretty interesting. It's down high there. energy. Ah, very high energy. Yeah. But, you know, I grew up in Manhattan, and of course I took the subway, but what I did, which I, which I now try to do in every city I visit, right, I don't have a plan. I, when I was a kid, my idea of freedom was, and I had a, I had a subway pass because we went to public school, you got a pass. I would go down to the subway, get on the train, and just take, took it as far as it would go, and then pick a stop at random and just get out and get upstairs and, oh my God, what is this, Right. That's how I discovered my city. Right. So it seems like you and I don't just share a name. Um, in my first <laughs> year living here in Mexico City, did something very similar. I did my own project, uh, like photography, and I did a project where I, I literally got off at every single station on the subway system, 100 and... Whew, 170-odd stations and, and explored the neighborhoods. 170 stations. That's uh, how big Mexico City is. Yeah. There's uh, 12 lines on the subway now. The, the 12th line opened just a few years ago, had a few problems initially, but uh, I think it's back up uh, running again now. So yeah, that was a great way to get to know the city initially, like you said, just getting off randomly yeah, randomly, and seeing you know, what's out there. Well, using, let's say, the center of Mexico City as your hub, what was the biggest surprise station for you when you went, you know, you went upstairs and went, whoa? Oh, I'm, if you go out to you know, some of the stations on the fringes in you know, like a borough like Iztapalapa, for example, which is the most sprawling and most dense, densely populated borough and 
also the poorest. I mean, it's a whole whole other world out there compared to you know what you see uh, around the the more central neighborhoods where they're cleaner, I guess, and more orderly. Yeah. But it didn't stop you from going. No, no, I wasn't wasn't deterred. I was fearless back in the day. I maybe tempered a bit with with age. <laughs> You're not that old, buddy. <laughs> When your friends come to visit you, and that is inevitable once you decide to live someplace, right? Sure. Uh, whether they're Australian or otherwise, where do you take them? Because they must have a stereotype of what they think Mexico is or Mexico City is. Sure. Um, well, I, I think the best thing to do initially when you come to the city is to walk around the downtown area, the historic center, because, uh, well, obviously, it's where you know the city was first founded. It's got the remnants remnants of the old Tenochtitlan, so you can go to the Templo Mayor and see, you know, the, the important sacred sites of the Aztec or Mexica people, and plus all the colonial architecture around the downtown, I think, is a, a must, and plus a lot of the, the good museums are downtown, right. um, like the National Art Museum, um, and there's only walking distance up to Plaza Garibaldi as well, which comes to life, especially at night with the mariachis. Um, and there are some nice cantinas around there where you can go in and in, enjoy the music in a kind of more intimate kind of atmosphere as well. So. But, you know, I'm one of those guys that gets museumed out. Um, give me one museum per city, let me spend a day or two there, and I can have value there. I can, I can really take it in. I can really appreciate it. I can't do five museums a city. It, 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 I can't even do two. Sure. So if I only had one museum, which one would it be for you? Ah, uh, well... I say, and probably everybody else says as well, the Museum of Anthropology, which is just, you know a, what? just a stone's throw from where we are here. I agree. I agree. And the um, bottom line is it's, uh, it's a surprise because of the way that things are displayed. Oh, it's an incredible museum. Yeah, the layout, how they have the, you know, the history on the ground level, and then you go up to the second level with all the you know, uh, modern-day interpretations of the different cultures. It's, yeah, it's really incredible. I know. Yeah. And and you can spend how many days in there? <laughs> <laughs> many. <laughs> so if you're not doing the museum and your friends are hanging out, and if they're from Australia, they want to go drinking beer, we know that. So where do you take them? Uh, well, it's always good to do a tour of the cantinas. There and, we go. Uh, downtown there's, and in other parts of the cities as well, there's some very interesting old cantinas. Give me one. Uh, Which one? Uh, Tio Pepe. In the downtown, is right on the fringe of the very small Chinatown. In downtown, is is very nice with you know your uh, bow tied waiters and wooden outfitting. So yeah, it's it's very good. And what are you drinking there? Oh, well, there you can have a beer, or if, if you're a, if you like, you can have a mezcal or tequila. Um, everybody, something a bit different, I guess, that you can uh, only get here in in Mexico, not just Mexico City, but in the central states is pulque. Uh, which, which is, is what? Uh, so pulque is the fermented sap of the, the maguey plant. Uh, so it's, it's a more or less processed or less fermented form of, um, you know, the maguey plant. And it has a very thick, viscous consistency. It's only about 5% alcohol. It's a traditional pre-Hispanic drink. Um, and there are still pulquerias, uh, which is, you know, the bars that serve pulque, which are very... So you'll, you'll get a buzz... Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, you get a bit of a buzz, and uh, you get a bit of a buzz from the, the characters who frequent the, the places as well. <laughs> well, so. you, you get a contact high just from them. <laughs> but you mentioned sure. Chinatown, and that's always interesting to me because 
There's every city I know in the world, Amman, Jordan has a Chinatown, right? So here we are in Mexico City. How is the Chinatown here? Uh, well, it's interesting. The Chinatown in the downtown, the, the official Chinatown, is, is pretty small. Uh, just in the last couple of months, actually, or maybe just in the last month, coinciding with uh, Chinese New Year, they've extended a little bit. But the, the restaurants there are okay. But actually, there's a, there's a new kind of Chinatown springing up uh, a little bit further south where there's actually a lot of newer migrants from China and their own restaurants and grocery stores. And that's actually probably a more authentic Chinatown well, now. Well, that's helped to some extent by the fact you can fly nonstop from Mexico City to China now. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, they've got air service now with sure. nonstop. It's, the world is getting okay. smaller. Yeah, yeah. That's... All right, so where would you take me to lunch? To lunch? Yeah. Oh, if we're going to stay on the Chinese theme. Well, we don't have to, no. <laughs> well, that, that, that could be a good idea. If you get off at the metro, the subway station, Viaducto, you can walk over to the Chinese uh, authentic uh, neighborhood around there. It's, uh, you can get some good Chinese food in one of the restaurants. But if you want to go for something more Mexican, I'm the kind of guy who likes to eat on the street. So I like his street tacos, quesadillas on, the, on a corner. Um, See, my rule is... You know, uh, and, and it's never served me wrong, right? My rule is, if it's cooked, eat it, right? If it's cooked, eat it. If it's if it's not cooked, you might not want to eat it, right? Because you don't know if, if the if the vegetables are washed. And that doesn't apply to Mexico. That applies to Topeka, Kansas. Sure. But if it's cooked, I'm there. And if you watch it being cooked, I'm there. And if you're eating on the street, you're watching it being cooked. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can get sick like anywhere, but I mean. Nine times out of ten, you'll have a really good experience, especially if you go to a busy taco stand or tortas or, you know, like that. So. Peter Davies for the Mexican News Daily. We'll be right back right after this. We've been speaking to Peter Davies, the uh, senior writer for the Mexico News Daily, um, an Australian who never, find, who never actually told me why you came here. Right. Um, initially traveling. Um, a travel enthusiast. I initially came here at the tail end of a long journey through South and Central America. Uh, I've got a long in uh, interest in Latin America generally and just got to the city and was overcome with the, the vibrancy and thought, yeah, I'm going to stick around. And um, How many cities had you gone to prior to getting here? Uh, I've been on that journey. I think I was probably 30, 40. I was in every capital of, um, of every Latin American country on the continent except Asuncion in Paraguay. I was about to say Paraguay. You, you joked, right? Except Paraguay. Yeah. In those days, that was the wild, wild west. Yeah, well, this is six, seven years ago. Still, uh, seven, the, wild, years ago. still the wild, wild west in Paraguay. Yeah, yeah I still haven't been there. But uh, yeah, I just got here and I, I knew it was not the kind of place that I could, you know get to know in a week or two so so I, I stayed and yeah and you're and now it's home you're an expat here yeah right I've been here for about six years now I've, I've worked as a teacher but also done quite a lot of freelance writing and then started working for Mexico News Daily uh just over a year ago and so so that's very interesting as well there's a lot happening in Mexico oh yeah and by the way do you think they're going to build the wall ah uh, well I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know what's running through Donald Trump's head. Um, <laughs> if he says what he's going to do, well, yes. But, but the Mexicans are certainly not going to build the wall. Well, they're not going to pay for it. <laughs> they're not going to build a wall, no, and they're not going to pay for it. Exactly. You know, when we last left off, we were talking about lunch, but you're a pizza guy. Sure, yeah. It's uh, probably not the best-known city in the world to, to grab a pizza, but, uh, yeah, it's becoming more popular, especially in... You know, neighborhoods where people like to eat out on the street. Uh, I've got a favorite place in the downtown because I live in downtown that, that I go to pretty regularly. What's it called? It's called La Chirindongeria. <laughs> say that three times fast. <laughs> La Chirindongeria. No, but you don't have to say it three times fast. No. <laughs> and, okay, yeah. now, but what kind of pizza are you ordering? 
Ah, uh, well, I think pretty much anything's good. Uh, you know, they've got really thin crust kind of pieces. Oh, like uh, New York pizza? Yeah. yeah now we're talking. It's really thin crust with fresh ingredients. I like their seafood pizzas or jamon serrano. Um, you know, any, anything's pretty much good. All their ingredients are, are pretty fresh, and it's a, a nice little place as I'm well. I'm checking that place out first thing tomorrow. Highly recommend it. Korean? Yeah, Korean food. Uh, so we're talking a little bit about the Chinese community. A lot of uh, Korean immigrants in in Mexico now, and also not too far from here in a part of the city called the Zona Rosa. Oh, I know the a, Zona Rosa, sure. Uh, very popular nightlife district. It's kind of turned into a bit of a Korea town of late. I, I don't think it would rival some other cities around the world, but I think there's about 40,000, 50,000 Koreans in, in Mexico now, so their restaurants have, have really sprung up and, and taken off quite a bit. And what are you ordering there? Uh, if I'm in Korean restaurant, I like to have the, you know the barbecue at the table where you do it yourself. Yeah, so they bring you you know all the all the meat to barbecue, and then they're bringing all the little sides, the kimchi, and all the other little pickled vegetables and and whatnot. So well, with enough kimchi, then then you're drinking beer. Yeah, there's there's beer, there's Korean beer, Mexican beer. Is there a special done. Mexican beer you like? Uh, yeah, I drink uh, Modelo normally, but um, one one thing to know is a lot of Mexican craft beer. Um, which has really taken off as well. I mean, there are a number of craft breweries around Mexico City, and especially in the north. And these are limited production. Uh, well, yeah, they're, they're much smaller batches than yeah. you know your, your big breweries. So, so yeah, there's a lot of good Mexican uh, craft beer. And where are they getting the hops? Uh, good question. We have uh, to find that out. Yeah, I, I don't know that. I don't know whether there are people farming hops in Mexico. Good question. They, they listen. Mexico surprises so many people. They do great cheese if you go to the right locations. They, and the most amazing thing to me about Mexico, and all my friends are astounded when I tell them, is the wine. You know, you go to Baja, in, in the wine region there, not only is the wine not overly expensive, it's really, really good, but here's the kicker. 75% of the wine that's made and done in Mexico is exported. And where is it exported? To France! What do the French know that we don't know about this wine? That's a secret. Yeah, okay, I didn't know that. Aren't you glad you stopped by? <laughs> <laughs> but the bottom line is, I'm constantly going beyond the stereotype of, you know, a sombrero and a tortilla. Sure, I mean, it's a modern country with a whole lot of th things going on, uh, a lot more than a lot of people probably, probably realize. And now that you've been here six years, what's the enduring surprise for you? Ah... Uh. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, th I think the Mexicans, the, the Mexican people's resilience in the face of adversity is, is impressive and perhaps surprising uh, in some ways as well. Um, the work ethic and, and the desire to get ahead often faced with, you know, less than ideal kind of circumstances to work in wages are very low in the country for a lot of people. Um, so that's surprising and impressive. But the thing that's always blown me away is attitude. Sure. I think there's a, there's a big know-how attitude and, and an attitude that, you know, we'll find the way to do it and, and we'll innovate if we have to. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
I should tell you in the interest of full disclosure, when I tell my friends I'm coming down to Mexico, they all want to know about one historic figure, Frida. They really do. Uh, and you see her work everywhere. Uh, and it's, it's amazing to me. And so how better to find out about it than to talk to somebody from the museum. And her name is Jimena Jordan. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Explain for people who don't know what I'm talking about, Frida Kahlo. Who is Frida Kahlo? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Frida Kahlo is one of the most important Latin American woman artists, and she's the most popular, worldwide known Mexican artist. Um, one of the interesting things about her is that her popularity is as equivalent to herself as to her works of art. So as Dali, for example, uh, she became a um, performance performer yeah. while being alive. And that performance was not um, intentional and but the result of that is that she is as famous as her works of art. So she is so famous. She became way back then. And what year are we talking about? What year? Yeah. Uh, 1930s, she became right. famous. She was she, already very became, much well known. She became a brand. She really was a brand. Yes. Because you see her works everywhere. Yes. I mean, you can buy a pocketbook. You can buy a scarf. Yes. With all of her works on it. Yes, exactly. It it was it has been like an snowball starting while she was alive, and then uh, each year bigger, 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 bigger. And now, as as you say, she's a brand. She's a global brand currently. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and the museum basically projects that. Yes, the museum. Um, the museum is reflecting what uh, how Frida Kahlo lived, and how did she live? Uh, she lived among Mexican popular art. She was a lover and ad admirer of Mexican popular art. These are the art crafts, art and crafts that are created by people coming from the different states of Mexico. So those people, they were not, and they are still not academic artists, but for Frida Kahlo and for Diego Rivera, they were uh, as important artists and as refined artists as they are the easel artists, you know? She elevated them. Yes, exactly, exactly. So in her house, the um, decoration, the aesthetic choices for the decoration are showing, um, uh, it, they are like a political post-revolutionary statement. Um, to, so Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo were showing their guests what was the real Mexican art, being as well themselves street, street Mexican art. artists. It was street art. Yes, like popular art is, is similar to street art in that it's collective creation, collective authorship. Yes. Yes. So, and together with that, pre-Hispanic art is also in the house. And so... But let's mm -hmm. talk about that for a second, mm -hmm. because... What motivated her? Where were her origins? Where did she take her inspiration from? She took her inspiration from her uh, ethnological origin. She was a mixture of races or of origins. So from her 
father's side, she was German. And from her mother's side, she was Purepecha indigenous. I mean, her grandfather. Well, the name Frida is German. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Kahlo. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So from her mother's side, she was um, uh, Purepecha indigenous because her grandfather was indigenous Purepecha. And uh, and from her um, I mean, and her mom was a Spanish. So she she's a Spanish as well as indigenous as well as German. So this <laughs> is Mexico, and she was proud of being mixed. So now we Latin Americans, we are all proud of that. But in her moment, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, people that could say that they were male Spanish or male English, they were the they elites. Say so. Exactly. Whereas Frida Kahlo saying, no, "No, I am a mix of things, and I am equally proud of all my descendants." If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. You can't really walk about 30 feet without... It's sort of like if you're in Jamaica, there's Bob Marley. In Mexico, there's Frida. Yes, yes. She 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 comes up everywhere, like in the subway, in the street, in the um, T-shirts. Right. Key rings. Everything, et cetera, right? Et dolls. <laughs> See? Cell phone covers. Yes. See, everything. It's everything. Mm -hmm. But... Her, as, as commercial as that is, mm -hmm. her story is one that endures. Yes, definitely. Yes. She is very admired as a person, not only as a woman, but um, as well. But take well. us back to 1930. Yes. To be an artist, to yes. be of mixed race, and to be of a, a woman, that was three strikes against you. And some and the four thing, uh, things to be a, someone with a strong physical disability. So she was a disabled person. She has a strong physical disability from an accident that oh she suffered. God. So she overcame all of them. Yes, yes. Since um, 18 years old, well, she was when she was 18, she was mainly bedridden. The accident was um, um, very strong, and there were several injuries, and her spinal column was broken forever. So mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that the art was part of her rehabilitation. Yes. That is exactly what happened. Frida Kahlo, before the accident, she was not going to be an artist. Art was not in her plan at all. She was already very visual, inheriting that from her father, who was a photographer. But she didn't. She did not want to be an artist professionally. She wanted to be a doctor, and she was going to become a doctor, a medical doctor. So she entered the most strict high school, Escuela Nacional Preparatoria. Thirty-five ladies were allowed among two thousand men in that moment so she was studying there and everything was more or less okay and then the accident happened so she was informed that she was not going to be healthy completely healthy anymore so she decided I mean she couldn't move much for nine months so in those nine months she started to paint and then she decided to become a painter because it was something that she could do in her own timing well when she first started to paint what were her choices what did she decided to choose 
choose to, to paint initially? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, she was uh, bedridden, and that bed is in the Blue House, in the Frida Kahlo Museum. So her mother put set up a mirror in the top of the bed so she could look up to herself because she couldn't even move her neck because she was all immobilized. In that mirror, she started, she could move her hands, though. I mean, her arms as well. <laughs> so she started to put makeup on and to, and to put flowers and to headdress herself so for time to pass by ni nicely and and then she started to self portray herself because she was the face that she was looking at so that is why self portraiture became uh -huh. one of her expertises because she was drawing from the mirror she was painting from the mirror yes exactly and she became visually conscious of the possibilities of her look also in that mirror. So the Frida Kahlo with the emphasized mustache, the emphasized mono eyebrow, the, uh, the flowers. Eyes and the eyes. Aha, uh -huh, the eyes, the, the, the flowers in, in the hair, in the hair, hair flowers yeah. in the hair, and the very beautiful ornamentation. That Frida Kahlo was born in that bed before that she had another look uh -huh, another completely different look you can also know that look in the museum because we have the photographs before and after and I, that I, look was also cool but I, i'm going to ask and uh -huh. it sounds a little silly but i'm thinking she had no choice about her physical situation she had to be bedridden her mother put the mirror above her mm -hmm. she painted that way i wonder if there are other artists who wanted to mimic that who are painting from their bed today Wow, it's a very good question. Um, I personally do not know if which artists artists are painting from their bed, uh, but I'm sure there should be. There should be because she became Frida Kahlo became an expert in painting from a horizontal position. Exactly. And there were uh, there was an easel that was designed by a carpenter that was hired by her parents, and that photo is also in the house. I mean, it's and tough enough to be sitting straight up and painting, let alone on your back exactly, looking up. Exactly. Exactly. So the angle is different, definitely. So yeah. So. So um, what's the most other than mm -hmm. the bed itself in the museum? Mm -hmm. What's the most surprising thing that people will discover when they get to the museum? Apart from the bed, yeah. okay, um, Frida Kahlo's garden, it's very special. Um, they feel something in the garden. It's a spot that is very peaceful and like from another period of the, uh, another period of time. And also her orthopedic implements, like her corsets that she had to wear beneath her clothing are very impressive to know, to Just look to at. Just to provide it. support for her, yes. Yes, and her crutches and her wheelchair and her sticks. Everything is there, okay? So what happened is in her self-portraits that are worldwide known, she looks strong and with this kind of very attractive beauty or this appealing look. But you never see the crutches. But you never see the crutches. Exactly. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. 
Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. For, the, for those people who haven't been to Mexico before, or in particular to Mexico City before, you're in for a real treat in ways that go beyond a tortilla, in ways that go beyond an enchilada uh, or a taco. You know, the stereotypes of Mexican cuisine used to really anger the Mexicans. Now they're angering me because... This is a UNESCO World Heritage Food Gastronomic Experience in Mexico City. And the scene hasn't just been exploding. It's been, it, it's exploded. It, it, it's everywhere. And one of the things that happens is smart travelers are coming here now, not just to experience the food, but to learn about the food, to immerse themselves in the food. And joining me now, the, the chef at Casa Jacaranda right here in Mexico City, Alberto Estua. How are you, sir? Fine. It's an honor, Peter. You heard my introduction. You don't disagree. Totally. I am smiling at listening to what you're saying about the, the Mexican food, of course. Mexican food has always been there, probably not for so many uh, people to have it available in probably abroad. But yes, of course, it's more than tortilla, just more than enchilada. And there's, uh, it's difficult to talk about uh, just uh, Mexican food because if you said, let's have some Mexican food, you would say, which kind of food, right? right. Poblano, Yucateco, uh, Michoacan, Northern Mexico, Central Mexico. What, and let's what not forget kind? Veracruz. Yeah. Of course, yeah. my family is from Veracruz, so yeah. I am familiar with that. So yes, there's a, uh, every region will have its own dishes and its own heritage, right? Well, the last time, I won't take this back, the last time I was here for an extended period of time, we were doing a one-hour special with the president of Mexico, uh, President Calderon, and I got to experience some amazing food with him. Uh, and my favorite, you're going to laugh at me, is the almejas chocolate. Of course. They're the delicious. Oh, my God. I can't get enough. And, you, and you know, you know the, tr the English translation doesn't do it justice. They're not chocolate clams. They just, they just happen to be darker color clams that are, oh, with the garlic and the sauce. It's amazing. Or just lime. And, yeah. Well, or just lime, sure. But for me, it was eye-opening because I had, I had graduated beyond the quesadilla, right? That's right. Yeah, it's, it's totally, uh, definitely what you're saying. Uh, if you go to the northern part of Mexico, it will have an, like a new cuisine, right? The, the part of, of Ensenada probably started way later because it was a desert but if you go in the these areas of central mexico it was it got really uh, enhanced when the spaniards came after the 16th century right so yes it's it's uh, i mean the, the probably the food that we get abroad it's uh, only the enchilada and some of the ingredients that but the, there's, there's more to it i mean there's so many ingredients here that you cannot find it abroad that you have to experience coming to mexico sure and then when I was in Oaxaca, that's when I immersed myself in mole. Moles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so many kind, right? Yeah. So, yeah, mole is this interesting, this interesting sauce. Probably, Ex explain that. Explain. Yeah, probably m many of your people, the p people that is listening, probably they'll know what uh, their mole, but probably they, they won't. No, they don't. I'm telling okay, you. Okay, mole is this sauce. It's uh, an ancient sauce, right? It's, uh, it's very thick. Uh, Poblano mole, I would say, is one of the mothers of all the moles. It's, uh, I like that, the mother of all the moles. The mother of all the moles, yes. It's uh, a very ancient sauce made with dry chiles. Dry chiles were very important for us. Uh, even before the Spaniards arrived, during the, the times of the Aztecs, they would send the armies 
away with dried chiles because the Aztec Empire was an, uh, uh, they were warriors, right? So they would send the, the people with the dried chiles so they will have food. And the best way of preserving food is with the dried chilies, right? So they will just grind it with some, you know, uh, devices and they will add some spices. And that would be the uh, pre-Hispanic take of mole. But mole really happened after the Spaniards came, right, in the 16th century, where they brought along garlic, onion, almond, sesame, which came from Middle East, right? Right. Raisins, apple, it got, cinnamon. It got, it got sweeter. Yeah, so, and then combined with all the ingredients that we already have, which was tomato, tomato is endemic from this of land, course. right? Uh, and some poultry, like turkey, it just happened. I mean, we have this sweet and delicious and interesting and baroque sauce. And actually, it was the baroque time. The, the more, the better, the, the more ingredients, the more processes. Mole has five, at least five processes. You have to grind, you have to grill, you have to burn, you have to <laughs> boil the ingredients, right? So there's so You have much to be at one with the mole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to do, it's at least 24 to 28 ingredients depending on the region, right? Wow. So there's so much to say about mole. And yeah, uh, it's, it's, mole is it, in, in our DNA, of course. Sure. And at your restaurant? I don't have a restaurant. Just run this school. I know at the school that you're uh -huh. teaching. Yeah. Yeah, we cook it. Of I course, know. we cook. We cook the mole, and uh, yeah, we're so passionate about it. I probably eat mole two times a, a week, or sometimes <laughs> even more. Hello, and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. I encourage you to go to our website, petergreenberg.com, for our comprehensive list of all the aid and relief organizations doing all that hard and essential work literally all around the world. Opportunities for you, no matter where you're traveling, to get up close and personal and give back to the people who need it the most every time you travel. We always like to, to localize the volunteer vacation opportunities, and Mexico City is certainly no exception. Hands on Mexico is a nonprofit organization right here in Mexico City, and their mission is to offer aid and relief to different areas of the community. I know about Hands On because we, we actually worked with them in Ecuador uh, after the earthquake. Uh, they, they have short-term volunteer activity opportunities, which means you can volunteer for a morning, an afternoon, a weekend, anytime you're down here. And this is everything from food banks to community gardening. But here's the cool thing. Whenever you do this, you're hanging out with the locals and you're in communities that you otherwise may not have ever seen. And what better way to see Mexico City than with the people who actually live here? My next guest is somebody who does actually live here. He's the executive director of the historic Center of Mexico City Festival, uh, Senor Pablo Maya. How are you, sir? Mm -hmm. Hi, hello. How are you, Peter? Good. So I've been coming to Mexico long enough to know that if you just wink, there's a festival. I mean, right? You cannot get away from festivals in Mexico. There's always a festival. But what about this festival? This is uh, one of the longest uh, festivals that exists uh, since uh, 34 years ago. And it's uh, very particular because it's dedicated to promote all the heritage we have in the historic center. So um, Now explain so the historic center. So the historic center is where all the biggest city of the continent 
was uh, when the Spanish arrived. That, that city was as important, um, Tenochtitlan, it was as important where as... The pyra- where the pyramid is. The, well, that's in the Templo Mayor. Yeah, yeah that's what they discovered some years ago. But it, the Tenochtitlan uh, was the city that Cortes uh, discovered when the Spanish came. And that was the biggest and the most important city in the continent. So from there, you have... All the, the culture actual, emanates from there. And then you have the, the, the colony um, culture, and then you have the modern culture, so it's so many la- layers in uh, architecture, in cultural, in uh, painting, in venues. So the challenge, I guess, would have to be, how do you have a festival that celebrates all of that? So what we want to do is we want to bring the best expressions in arts in the world, like the really good quality uh, arts, dance, theater, music, concerts, in these amazing venues, like the Palace of Arts that you, I'm pretty sure you oh, know. Oh, Amazing. And by the way, if you go to the Palace of Arts, don't try to see it in one day because you cannot. (laughs) You cannot, and maybe this is the best example I want to give. We have this venue. It's a 400-seat venue for acoustic music that has the first mural of Diego Rivera, his first mural ever done. People don't know that. People don't visit that because they don't know. It's free. You can just go enter and it's free. What we want to do in the festival is if you're going to take the time to go to the downtown because, you know, it it takes time, it's traffic and... A lot of, what, what, a lot tra- of people. Tra- traffic in Mexico City? I'm shocked. <laughs> so what we want to do is we want to invite you when we have like the best pianist, one of the best in the world, or one of the experiences that you can only live in uh, Europe, for example. So that's what we do. We bring uh, world-class entertainment, artists, art, dance, theater, to venues that are so amazing that people don't know them. So what we want to do is that people can value them again. Because if they value them, they're going to protect them. And if they're going to protect them, they're going to be here for... So, for example, we were just celebrating a hundred years old of a a Teatro de la Ciudad, city theater. That's an amazing history. This is this Mexican lady bought it. She lived there. Uh, She was, like, creating things, like, just after the revolution. So this is a hundred-year-old theater, one of the oldest in the the country. So we wanted to be there for another hundred years. So the best way to do it is bringing, we just, uh, for example, we just had like a Slovenian ballet. I mean, it's a big production, a really complex from Tomas Pandur. He was one of the best choreographers in the world. So we have people come and see that, that they were never there. So they're like amazed by this beautiful architecture. Basically, you want people to look around and go, we had no idea. Yes. And, and because now we know we're going to bring somebody else. And because now we know we're going to, keep on coming and we're going to keep it clean and, and, and we're going to um, secure it so future generations uh, have it still. Now when we talk about the festival, we're not talking necessarily about one performance. We're talking about a big venue that people can come to all year round. We're talking about uh, different activities all year round. We, we do What we do, we do it a whole year. We concentrate in a month, most of it, like we're talking about 60,000 attendees uh, with 60 uh, activities, with uh, 200 uh, performances. We're talking about 2,000 uh, artists from t- 20 different countries. And the, and the months that this happens? This is um, in March because we want to have uh, the good weather. We want to have uh, c- celebrate uh, different activities because you, you mentioned different festivals. But this is one of the uh, festivals that has been here for a long time. So we just had, for example, in the Socalo, the Ninth Symphony. So the, soft, the Sokolo has just been remade. They changed the, the floor, it's really nice. Uh, we played the Ninth Symphony. People don't get to go, the, like, you know, the, the, 
a lot of people don't get to go to the venues, to the concerts, to hear that. So you have 20,000 people listening. In Palace of Arts, it's just 1,500 uh, people can go into one show. So it's free, it's, I mean, it's open air and night, beautiful weather. So for people listening to the show, plan for next year because... Please. You, yeah, you got to come down. something important, too, is that with Mexico City being so close to the United States and having so many things to, to, to do here, instead of going to Europe to see these shows... I mean, for they're half of the price, they're you come here. to Mexico City. You well, you say to. they're free. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, some of them they're free, and some of them just because of okay, half of the price the to go to Europe. What's the most expensive ticket for a performance? Wow, that would be like, uh, let's say, $20. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> it's subsidized, obviously. It's subsidized. Yeah, of course. We, we have a, this is a private festival, but we have public money, we have sponsors, we have tourism uh, money, we have a lot of uh, um, businessmen, like companies, that will uh, sponsor. sponsorship. So now, now you talk about you know the foreign artists coming here. Does the foreign artists also include Americans? The foreign, we just had this amazing uh, soul and gospel uh, girl uh, that's named Liz Wright. She never been to Mexico City before. It's the first time she performed. She's uh, big time in the United States now. She performs in the big festivals, and she was amazed of the beautiful theater. We had a full like sold out show. Uh, she was I, I have a question for those who are singers. Altitude in Mexico City, was uh, that a problem? To dancers. Ah. It's, it's uh, difficult for dancers. But for example, Lise, she was like, uh, she asked us to get her into Frida Kahlo House. because she, oh, We're going to talk about uh, that in the show, of course. Instead yeah. of going to rehearsal, because uh, she, her uh, companion, they wanted to go to see Frida Kahlo House. So then they tweet about that. So that's, I mean, it's a whole circle, right? They tweet that, oh, we have to come back to Mexico City just to see all the things because now we were just working. So it's, I mean, this is a festival that promotes tourism locally, internationally, but mostly talks good about an area that in this 34 years ago needed this because now it's very different. But you know, in a sense, you still need ago. it because if you ask most of my fellow Americans, they don't look at Mexico City as a cultural capital. Yes. They don't. Um, the stereotypes still exist. And they come down here and they're blown away. Just so they just go to the museums, it's like, because it's one thing to say you have a museum. It's another thing to say, here's how we depict it. Here's how we present our collection. Here's how we immerse you in it. And when you go through, not just that museum, even the anthropological museum, it's mind-blowing. And it's not only the national, because we also present national Mexican artists, but to see, to watch like... Um, an American, a really well-known um, American uh, jazzist like her. Then the next weekend, it was like a flamenco company, and the next weekend, an Slovenian company. So that's, I mean, it's a capital, it's a metropolis, it's cosmopolitan, it's in amazing venues. And then after that, you can go have the most amazing food. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.